1: How are we doing today? Good. Awesome. Awesome. Well, like Leah said, my name is Brandon. I am the community life pastor here, and I want to welcome you. If you are joining us on um, Vineyard Live, I want to welcome you as well. Thank you for being here with us. Last week, we started a, uh, an amazing series called Hope Rising, God's presence in our pain. And in this series, we are uh, just exploring things like pain, suffering, uh, hopelessness, and we're asking the question, how do we and what does it look like to experience God's hope in moments that look seemingly hopeless? And last week, our, uh, one of our founding pastors, Di Laman, she, she opened up the series beautifully by uh, teaching us and challenging us to uh, let go of some lies that deflate hope in our lives, and she challenged us to also look for a redeemer rather than a reason when we're in the middle of moments of difficulty, moments of pain, and I am excited to continue our series, and I just believe that the Father has uh, something to say to us. He wants to speak to us, so the title of this talk is Hope Rises When Faith Replaces Fake. Let's pray, and we are going to jump in. So, Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness and for your goodness. Lord, we thank you for um, hope rising in this place. I pray that you would just increase your presence in this place. We want you, we want to hear from you. Would you encourage us, uh, challenge us, um, free us? Whatever you want to do today, we just say yes to you. We say yes. Um, I pray for open ears, open hearts, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So one of the things that makes me very happy, this may not make you happy, but one of the things that makes me happy is when I, when I really realize that, you know what, I have finally lived enough life to say some of the one-liners that I grew up hearing my whole life. Um, that makes me very happy because my parents were full of one-liners, they had all of them, uh, money doesn't grow on trees, I ain't one of your little friends. You know, so, so many one-liners that I don't, I don't have time to unpack them all with you, right? Um, one though that I believe that many of us heard growing up or maybe we're hearing it now, maybe we're saying it now is uh, we'll see, we'll see. Um, this one, I know now as an adult, what, what we'll see means is that I am not willing to commit to making you a promise, right now, I'm not willing to commit to saying yes. I want to keep my options open until later. Um, but you know, when when you're like a teenager, you don't know that, right? You know, it's like, hey, Dad, can I can I go to the movies with my friends on Friday? We'll see. We'll see. What does that mean? We. We don't, we don't know, you know, like, that could mean yes, it could mean no. It could mean, uh, yes, yeah, sure, but I need to find out more about what you're seeing. It could mean no, because I don't like your friends at all. Um, it, we, we don't know. Like, we'll see's kept us up at night. Um, it, it, it caused us mild cases of anxiety because it was loaded with so many implications. Like, what does we'll see mean? Listen, I believe That in our personal relationship with God, sometimes it is easy to wonder, did God give me a promise or we'll see? What do we do when we have a promise from God but absolutely nothing to show for it? What do we do in moments like these? You know, I, I read my Bible, I see that the sick are healed, I, I see it, I, and I've even prayed for people to be healed, but I am still walking in the valley of terminal illness right now. Will it happen for me too? Will he do it for me too? It can feel like a will see. I, you know, I, I've heard of stories of, of marriages being restored, and, and, and I've, I've seen it happen for other people, but will it happen to mine? It can feel like a we'll see. I, yeah, I've, I've watched the YouTube videos, I've heard of the way that God has radically set people free from pornography, but it's something that I've been battling my entire life. Will this thing ever, ever be taken care of? Will it happen for me too? Sometimes it can feel like a will' see. Will my children, will they ever come back to Christ? I, sometimes it feels like a will' see. Yeah, I just heard of an amazing story of God showing up right in the middle of someone's pain, right in the middle of their situation. I'm walking through my own painful situation right now, moment of, of, of difficulty. Will the Lord show up for me right now? Sometimes it can feel like a we'll see. And it is in these kinds of moments that we are tempted to try, to try to make what we are hoping for, make what we are waiting for happen out of our own ability, out of our own strength. We're tempted to believe that if we can just have enough faith, maybe what we are hoping for, maybe what we're waiting for will happen. And the way that we increase our faith is to simply ignore that we have doubt. The answer seems to be to ignore that we have pain. To ignore that we have disappointment. To ignore that we have actual problems happening right now. Listen, it, it, it doesn't benefit us any to ignore the problem. It does nothing for us. You know, we, we live in a culture right now. We, our culture just says, well, just keep moving forward. Just distract yourself. Stay busy with work. Stay busy, you know, distract yourself with social media and other things and just say, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Ah, my marriage is fine. I believe as, as I focus on the positive things that, you know, uh, good things are going to happen. No, I'm not worried about finances. God is my provider. I'm not sick, I'm healed, right? In Jesus' name, he, he's my healer. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Are you? Are you fine? See, sometimes I, I, I think that we equate faith with fake it till you make it. Or blab it till you grab it. And I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I actually believe there is power in statements like these. Jesus is our healer. Don't hear me. He is the the, the healer. God is our provider. The problem is that we cannot ignore what we are experiencing internally. If we do this, this is not real faith. This is fake faith. And if this is how we cope, if, if this is how we choose to cope with... The tension of living between that which God has promised us and the reality of our current situation, our current suffering, the thing that we are waiting on God to do, it will actually leave us stuck. Faking will leave us spiritually stuck because it leaves no room for God to work within us because God cannot meet a spiritual need that we do not acknowledge that we have. Faking will leave us emotionally stuck because it leaves no room for us to process and heal and grow past trauma and pain. Faking will leave us uh, mentally stuck because it literally creates a war inside of our head, inside of our brain. This is what neuroscientist and Christian author Dr. Caroline Leaf says in her book, Think, Learn, Succeed. She says, if you lie to yourself, you will experience cognitive dissonance, the opposite of cognitive congruence, which can impact your mental and physical health because you are creating an internal war. Whitewashing your toxic thoughts and words with positive thinking affirmations is merely a temporary fix, a Band-Aid approach. Now, I, I don't know about you, but... I have issues in my life that a, a Band-Aid can't cover, that, that a Band-Aid can't fix. I, 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 I need real hope. I need, I need real breakthrough. I need real power and hope in my life. I need to, to, to experience the reality of the kingdom. I'm not content with just singing about it. I love to sing about it, and there's power in singing about it, but I need to experience the transformative power of the kingdom. I have to replace fake with faith so that hope will continue to rise. I think our, 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 our temptation to, to, to like settle with the, you know, settle for the band-aids and just kind of fake it, it comes from a misconception of two things, I, I think. It's, uh, it's a misconception of, of faith and doubt. Like what is faith? And how does doubt intersect? I, I, I want to start there. Does doubt intersect? So I want to start with uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1. Let's read Hebrews 11.1. 1. And I want, to, I want to read, I want to, I want to like, we're going to th- throw back to the King James Version. Shout out to, to KJV. It's just my favorite translation of this verse. Um, I love the language. Uh, this is what Hebrews 11.1 1 says. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Now, this one verse, this one verse in the Bible, has puzzled me. Like, what does that mean? What? What is faith? What is faith? Well, it's the substance of things hoped for. You know. Okay. Um, what is the substance? Who supplies the substance? That's what I want to know. You know, another translation translates that word substance as confidence. So faith is the confidence of things hoped for. It is confidence in the things that you cannot see. But I go back to the question, who, who supplies the substance? Who gives the confidence? Is it us? Is it God? Who is it? How does it work? I want to look at the life of someone that I believe teaches us a lot about faith, but not just faith faith in the middle of of pain, faith in the middle of, 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 of difficult circumstances, seemingly hopeless circumstances, faith in extended periods of waiting. I want to look at the life of Abraham. Abraham, formerly known as Abram, Abram means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. And this is ironic in and of itself because Abraham and his wife Sarah they were barren they couldn't have children but how many of you guys know that God actually places in our DNA and in our identity who we are called to become before the foundation of the world it is in there whether or not you can see it so Abraham and Sarah they become the founding mother and father of the nation of Israel but I want to look at the beginning of their story in Genesis 12 in Abram's life, right here. This is the most important moment in his life. God comes to him and God gives him two things. God gives him instructions and he gives him a promise. And then it is up to Abraham or Abram to respond to God's call. And this moment in his life, it teaches us an important principle about faith. Faith is not generated, it is gifted. Faith is not generated, it is gifted. See, I believe many times it's so easy for us to fall into the temptation of trying to be faith factories and, and create faith, create uh, um, um, like hope for what we are waiting on God for and, and what we're waiting for. But I want you to notice that God comes to Abram. God comes to him and establishes a faith-based relationship with him. God says, hey, Abram, I'm calling you into something deeper. I'm calling you into a bigger story than yourself. Abram wasn't looking for this. He wasn't trying to, like, create this. It came to him. We actually know that at this time in in, in Abram's life, him and his whole family, they were broken. They were lost. They were idol worshipers. The point is, he was not trying to create, generate faith. It came to him right where he was in his situation as a gift, and it was up to Abram to respond Now, why why is that important? It is important because it sets us free. It sets us free because the lie that the enemy wants us to believe when we are in in moments of, of, of seemingly hopelessness and we're waiting on God is he wants us to believe that we are in the business of generating faith, creating faith. But you are not in the business of creating faith. You are in the business of receiving faith, then exercising the faith that you have received This is what we see. This is why Hebrews 10, verse 38, it tells us this. In the beginning, it just says that my righteous ones will live from my faith. My faith, our anchor when we are in moments of difficulty, moments of extended waiting. It's not our faith. It is his faith. It is us uh, being aware of and remembering that, wait a second, this thing was your idea, God, not mine. Healing my marriage, that's your idea, not mine. Freeing me from anxiety and depression, that's your idea, not mine. And when this becomes our perspective, we are set free. We're free from the pressure of performance, and we are free to receive. And when we are free to receive his faith, hope rises again in our lives it rises again. Faith is not generated, it is gifted. So going back to Abraham, he, he, he listens to God, he leaves everything he knows, he leaves the idols, he leaves his family, he leaves it all, in hope of and expecting for God to do what he promised. He's expecting God to give him a child. Well, time passes and nothing happens. Nothing happens pertaining to this promise that God gives him. Eight or nine years pass, passes by. And God comes to him a second time and says, hey, Abram, I have not forgotten about you. I am going to do what I told you I was going to do way back then. I'm going to do it. I'm going to make your name great. It's going to happen. Abraham respond, uh, responds this way, and it's, it's so fascinating to me. This is Genesis 15, verse 3. And Abram said, behold, you have, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. This is interesting because... If it were me, I think I would have responded with some sort of empty religious platitude. I've been like, you know, uh, well, be it unto me, God, as you have spoken. You know, uh, I, I, I receive your reign. Let it come. You know, I would have probably responded like that. Maybe you would have responded like that, too, because that's the, 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 the knee-jerk reaction. But Abraham's response, it almost makes you wonder, like, yo, is this legal? Can you talk to God this way? Is this Okay. Um, is is he okay with that? Because Abram basically says to God, he says to his, I don't know if it was to his face, I I, I picture it to his face. He says, yeah, right. Yeah, right, God. I, I, I still don't have a son. My servant is in my will and my servant is going to inherit everything that I have. One translation says that he says, I am going to die childless. So he tells God this. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting and nothing has happened. Your promise seems more like a will see. But this exchange between Abram and God, it teaches us something, another principle about faith. Faith or, or doubt is dynamic. Our doubt is Dynamics. See, religion will want you to believe that doubt is the opposite of faith. But doubt is not an opponent of faith. Doubt is an element of faith. Doubt is actually what makes faith a partnership between us and Jesus. Doubt, when it's placed in the Father's hands, is actually used to turn us towards hope and turn us towards belief. What did Abram do? He was vulnerable and honest with the Lord about his doubt. And God doesn't judge him. He doesn't say, how, how dare you? Do you know who I am? You see this? I created it all. Like, how, how How dare you question me after everything that I've done for you? I've taken you out of your idol worship and God doesn't respond that way. God doesn't respond by judging him or condemning him. God enters into his doubt and God redirects him towards hope and towards belief. And what happens is hope rises again in his life and then faith comes into his heart and it says that the Lord counts that as righteousness. When we choose to engage God with our doubts, with our disappointment, we are actually giving God the opportunity to engage us with his presence. So our doubt becomes a portal to God's presence. It started with doubt. It started with doubt. This is Abraham. It's the father of faith. You know all the songs about him and you know, you read about him in Hebrews, he's in the hall of fame and this is Abraham, you know? I, I love how Paul writes and remembers Abraham. He says this in Romans 4. It says in verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises or, or the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Okay. Um, So when I read that, um, I'm like, okay, this, everything's not adding up here. Because uh, when I read the, 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 the Genesis account and this Romans account, they seem like they contradict one another because when I read about Abram's life in Genesis, I don't see a man that's fully convinced. I don't see that. I, I don't see a man that is unwavering in the normal sense of the word. I, I see fear. I see doubt. I see disappointment. I see frustration. I see anger. But then it, it, it hit me that maybe Paul is trying to illustrate to us that unbelief and faith actually coexist together. That just because you have faith, it does not mean that you don't have doubt. No, doubt was in Abraham's story. Unbelief was in his story. The two are not opposed. We can bring the doubt, our disappointment, we can bring it to the Father. It becomes a portal to his presence. So we do this, right? We have this moment with Jesus, and Jesus reminds us that he is with us right where we are, in our point of need. He reminds us, I am here. Uh, He reminds us of the promise that he has given us. And we are so full of faith. We are so full of belief. And then we go back to waiting. You know, maybe waiting on healing to come, waiting on financial stability, waiting uh, for freedom from anxiety or the panic attacks, waiting and waiting and, and waiting and After a while, it just feels like you're stuck again and that nothing has actually changed. And then you you begin to wonder, wait, did I actually hear God? Did I actually hear him say what I thought I heard him say? This last principle that we see in Abram's life is that waiting does not mean wandering. Waiting does not... Mean, wandering The enemy, he wants us to believe in moments like these that if God does not move in this one area that we are waiting for him to move in, then our entire life completely sucks. That everything, everything around us completely sucks. If he can get us to exaggerate in our imagination the importance of what we are waiting on God to do, it actually is, it makes us vulnerable to be pushed out of faith and into fear. And when we are living in a state of fear, we are prone to try to take control of our own lives but that will ultimately derail us. This is what we see, and we see this in Abraham and Sarah's story. Sarah got tired of waiting. She's like, all right, I'm done. You know, it's been, it's been a minute, I'm done. We can make this happen on our own, Abraham. Uh, I have a servant. Her name is Hagar. Um, uh, you marry her. Maybe the promise that I've been waiting for is going to come through her. So go ahead, marry her and have a kid with her. So Abraham marries Hagar. They have a kid named Ishmael, and that causes a ton of issues, as, as, as you can imagine. Um, didn't work out the way that she imagined. And that is because we can't force the promise. When we try to force the promise, we create a copy of the promise. But it's not the real thing. I want to tell you that you may be waiting, but that does not mean God isn't working. You may be in a waiting period, but it doesn't mean he's not working. You know, we live in this culture of immediate gratification. I need it now. It has to happen right now in this moment at this point in time and because of that, we assume that every single breakthrough, every single miracle, every, every single promise of God, it should happen right when we want it in the moment and I hate to be the one that has to tell you this but it, that's not true. It doesn't always happen that way. And if you are in an extended season of waiting, period of waiting, maybe waiting for healing, waiting for a a promise that God has spoken over your life, can I encourage you and say that God will crash into your situation. Hope will rise again in your life. He sees you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He knows about the tears that you've cried. He knows about the sleep that you've lost. He knows about the raging thoughts and all of those things. He is working whether or not you can see it. He is working. Waiting does not mean you're wandering. You are still moving where he wants you to move. I've learned how you wait matters. How you wait matters. So what, is, what does that look like? How, how, how do we wait? I think we see Abram and Sarah do one thing that we can all apply to our lives, no matter what our current situation is, no matter uh, what we are currently uh, waiting for God to do or or, or or walking in right now, we can let go. We can let go. We have to let go of this idea that doubt and faith are opposites. That faking does not affect us because it does. Faking creates this barrier of entry or uh, intimacy with the Lord. We, we're blocking ourselves off from allowing him to really move and do what he wants to do in our lives. You know, like, God is inviting us into a great exchange. He's saying, give me what you got. I, you got doubt, worry, give it to me. He, he's like, I, I, I can take it. I can, I can take it. The last time I checked, he was pretty secure in his identity. Like, he... We, we don't have, to, well, I don't know if I can say this to God. <laughs> I think he can handle it. And he is inviting us into deeper intimacy, relationship with him. Sometimes intimacy with God, it doesn't look, you know, warm and fuzzy and all of those things. Sometimes it starts off just by saying, God, I am frustrated. God, I am upset. I, I thought that this would, ha- uh, would, would happen this way, and it's not. I don't know if I believe that this is going to happen, Lord. And when we do that, when we say that, God is like, finally, this is something I can work with. Okay, now I can work with this. I want to I conclude by sharing a story that I believe puts this in practical uh, life application. I want to I share a story or the story of Alan and Carrie Perkinson, they are uh, an amazing couple here in our church. They're a blessing to, you know, my wife and I, so many people here in the church. Their whole family is uh, just amazing. And this is a short snippet of their adoption story. And you're going to notice the phases of faith that we just talked about. You're going to notice that in their story. And I want you to check this out.
2: I went on a mission trip to Kenya, and I was part of the medical team. And so this lady came up to me and had a brand new baby, and tears streaming in her eyes begged me to take her baby home with her. But I instantly came home from Kenya and was telling Alan, we have to do something. This is the opportunity to step into faith.
0: You know, Carrie was convinced that we need to be the ones adopting, and I was less convinced of that with uh, four kids. We had Caleb, Ben, Hannah, and Sarah. I'm the numbers guy that gets to have the fun of running the budget in our house. I said, no way can we do that. And so, um, and then we just, as we um, talked and prayed all the way through that, and uh, and then it was on that night that you had that prophetic yeah. dream.
2: Yep. So I had a dream the night we said yes to Esther, that somebody cut us a check for $10,000. And um, almost to the near end of fundraising we did get a phone call from a friend that said hey we would like to send you a check for Mm -hmm. $10,000 so just a confirmation again that what God was calling us to he was gonna see us through
0: yeah so really stepping out in faith all the way through we were able to go to Esther um, in October of 15 very quickly after her uh, being placed with us in China um, she rejected Carrie altogether. She just really didn't want Carrie. The faith that Carrie had, hey, we knew we were here, there's all these things that came through, and then, and then being pushed away.
2: She, I mean, hated me, to be honest. Um, growled at me if I came near her, um, screamed at me if I came near her, wouldn't look at me, wouldn't take food from me, but I knew, I mean, vividly from my dream, her pictures, Everything She was meant to be our daughter, but it just wasn't playing out the way that I thought I had heard God play the story for me. And where most people without faith would be like, I did not sign up for this, we're out.
0: Yeah, but testament to the the, the transition once we did get home. So Carrie and Esther, the, the rejection that Carrie felt um, from Esther while we are in China, that quickly evaporated within, I don't know, we'll just say a week or so. And that Carrie and her yeah things bonded and so then that just renewed hope of
2: mm-hmm. yeah
0: this was exactly where we should be.
2: So Foreman's home I tell Alan, I'm like I'm advocating for kids again and this little girl crosses my desk and I told Alan, I said there's this little girl that just came across my desk and I think she is our daughter.
0: It was just a matter of saying all right we've got the we've got the faith foundation built again and again and again
2: And so I see Rachel's file, and I see that um, originally it said that there was a possibility that she had a seizure disorder. Her orphanage had contacted our agency and said, this little girl is really having a lot of seizures. Can you ask the family if they can try to get here sooner? We expedite her process. We get to China in six months. They brought in this little girl, and I instantly in my mind went, what the heck did I say yes to? Was I pushing my agenda over wanting to have another child from China? over god's and did i really hear god tell me that this is supposed to be my child because here is this little girl who is very medically fragile i just see a a lifetime of care for her so we get home from china um we were in the hospital within 24 hours for four days trying to get seizures under control seizures under control and find out she has a brain tumor and all the while you know we're at vineyard and just keep contending to that hope that you know what? She's going to be healed. She is going to be healed again. God called us to this. He's going to see us through it.
0: And despite some doubts of, of that, you were having because you're that Carrie was right in the thick of it, right? Confusion and, and some desperation, um, knowing all right, we've seen it. Mm-hmm. And so really, the faith that's been built through these times um, and the hope that we we've experienced, it's just a matter of re- remembering, saying, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. It was. He was faithful then. He, 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 he won't be changing.
2: So about a year after being told she has a brain tumor and we're doing everything we can, um, the doctor says, let's do this PET scan. We, we kind of want to check on the tumor. And so finally, three days later, they call. None of the radiologists can agree on her scan. Half of them cannot find a tumor anymore. Half of them say they think they see a tumor. And of course, in the medical world, they won't say that it's gone. And so it was, it was for us the first confirmation that, okay, there is hope.
0: He's completely redeemed us with, we love our four kids. Um, the fact that, um, yeah, that he's grown us up in um, so many different ways and our faith is stronger than we ever could have even imagined it was going to be. And just with Esther and Rachel, the hope that we've got um, that God's given us for them um, entering our family and and, uh, joining our family and and the excitement that all eight of us have together now. Mm -hmm.
1: Say thanks to the Perkinsons for sharing their story. Such a powerful story. I want you to notice just the phases of faith in their story. You know, faith comes to them in the beginning of the story, right, as a gift. Faith comes to them and they step into it. And, and then doubt enters into the picture. And they're, you know, like, oh, did I hear God correctly? Um, it, is this actually something that I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be doing? Doubt enters in, but it proves to be dynamic because it, it, it actually opens them up to experience the breakthrough and the provision of the Lord. But ultimately, they are still also waiting for the fullness of what God has promised them. Listen, God is, God is inviting us to be people that do not waver. And what that, what that means is that we are people that continue to engage with him with whatever we have, whether that's great faith or great doubt. We are saying, God, I, I, I am here to engage with you. And he's like, I can work with this because we are committed to intimacy with him. There's an There's an opportunity for us to step into deeper intimacy, vulnerability with him. He can handle the full range of our emotion. Notice the range of emotion that that Alan and Carrie displayed even just in the video. The Lord is saying, I can handle it all. I think as we hold true to these truths that faith is not generated, it is gifted. Our doubt is dynamic and that waiting is not wandering. Hope will rise again in our lives. Faith will be planted in our hearts and we will see the goodness of God. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your faithfulness. God, we celebrate your faithfulness. We celebrate the fact that we get to live from your faithfulness. And it, it's not something we have to generate and, and create in and of ourselves. We just pray for your presence to come in this room encounter us in a way that marks us forever and reminds us of your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Life Plus community
1: to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.